Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, uh, I heard the other day that CBUS are building a new future. What's that all about? Well, CBUS are investing in heaps of new projects, creating thousands of jobs for workers like us. And when you spend your pay at the bakery, you're boosting local business and the economy. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. Come on, I'm starving. Of course you are. (laughs) CBUS, for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final Word Cricket Podcast. Adam Collins and Jeff Fleming. We are still at the Gabba, where we last mm. came to you via the India Daily. The India Daily is no more. For now, at least. No. It might come back. The daily podcast, as it relates to the Indian test team, when they play England, who knows? It, it who knows? It's you possible. Know. But what we do know is that... Um, what we don't do here, Adam, is we don't rule things out. No. We don't, we don't necessarily the rule, rule them in. We don't play the rule in, rule out game. No. Never have, never will. Never have. We don't rule. This is not what we do. The good thing is we can record our weekly podcast together, and mm-hmm. we're going to put it on YouTube. Why not? Why not? Why not? Porque no people, los YouTube. People seem to like the YouTube things. We're going to keep doing it. Not yeah. perhaps as cinematically yeah. as we've had with the daily shows, but it will yeah. be something you can watch. If you want to see us in the SEN commentary box, you can do that. <laughs> it's not visually that exciting. <laughs> it's basically imagine that we were imprisoned in the back of a shipping container with soundproof walls. This is what it might look like. It's a large black box. I'll explain what we're doing on the show today. Mm-hmm. Right. Marcus Stoinis. He's our feature interview. Yes. An interview we've been meaning to do for a while. Yep. We thought we would do it during the BBL season. The Melbourne Stars facilitated it. And then we got an amazing amount of time with him and we used it well. It's a different interview. It's not the interview we thought we would do. It's not as in certainly when we were planning to do it, we didn't think it would go in the direction that it did. Yeah. And I'm so pleased that is the case. Sometimes when we do these types of things, they end up in a very different place to where they start. This was one of those. It was a very rewarding experience for us as interviewers, I think. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give away too much, but he tells a story that we didn't necessarily expect to hear from him and it was quite emotional. Well, sometimes the... The interviews become conversations in a way that, you know, not every interview is a conversation. Um, yeah. the, the good ones are. The good ones become that. But it was one of those ones where we didn't end up talking about cricket that much. We talked about life and we talked about the personal aspects of Marcus's life. And I was, I was really moved that he was willing to trust us with that interview. Mm. Um, so thank you especially to him for, for being so open with us. And, I, yeah, I can't wait for everybody to be able to hear it and and to have that experience before we get to marcus what we're going to do is just 
briefly reflect on what we've seen today. We've done it in the daily podcast, but we've had about an yeah. hour since then. I'm just going to just... I think we've done the nuts and bolts in the daily yeah. podcast, but the sort of there's, there's the emotional sort of <sighs> exactly. feeling after you see something incredible, which we've had the fortune of seeing quite a few incredible things in the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah. I think that when we did the World Cup final and when we did the Headingley Miracle, mm. we fired off those daily podcasts and we're really proud of them, but perhaps the conversations we had later filled in a lot of gaps and it probably... It probably is the case that we're not far enough away from it now to do that either. But just sort of getting the sense, jumping on Twitter for five minutes then and the emotion from cricket fans around the world, not just Indian fans, but people who just love the game and that the argument that you can't get any better sporting... Mm. No, I don't want to say sporting contest, but it, it, there's something about the fifth day of a test match. Yeah. Uh, especially it's when the they're... investment. An, it's yeah, the amount of time and effort you've invested. It's like there's nothing else. Maybe game seven in a playoff series, but... <laughs> But generally, a sporting contest is relatively short. You know, it's over in a couple of hours. And also, it's binary. You win or you lose. Yeah. The fact that today it was win-lose, trophy on the line mm. via a draw, maybe bad weather, possibly yeah. even a tie. It was all of that going on at the same time until very yeah. deep in the day. And do you risk the win in order to have a, a stalemate? Do you yes. risk Do you risk having a loss in order to, you know, like there are, there are so many different ways that can go. But fundamentally, I think it comes down to the amount of time and effort and attention invested in it, that if you've watched the entire series you've watched not quite 20 days of test cricket in this case because you know Adelaide was over in about five minutes but you've put in that much attention you've, put, you've invested that much of your life into it and then there is that sense that you know the, the resolution is significant in a way that watching a, a short match of any kind isn't yeah it's huge payoff because we'll talk about having been at the game today with I think it was four and a half thousand five and a half thousand people mm. of course that would have been a lot more if not for the circumstances or probably would have yeah. been hard to know for sure but, but but it's like we have that thing that we mm. saw today and we saw it with our own two eyes and there there is something that being there for and I know that that was a big part of the COVID mm-hmm. emotions last year it was that great things would happen on the cricket field but we yeah. didn't get to see them in the flesh and that's kind of the whole bit about the final yeah. word in many ways we, we just want to be there and the rate what we've seen with our own two eyes unless you you know drove down to Old Trafford and parked in the car park and watched yes. through a gap in the fence you know <laughs> then then how are you supposed to be there and I will say as well particularly through the first part of the day there was a fair bit of sort of no one in Brisbane comes to the test match on the last day and because it looked empty but wasn't actually as empty as it looked because the seats camouflage everyone it sort of looked worse than it was and i i did get outside for a good chunk of the last session Mm. and watch from the stands and the atmosphere outside you know not sort of locked up inside the stand with all the windows closed was excellent it was loud and it was raucous and there were indian fans and australian fans and they were trading chants and they were getting really into it and it actually did feel like a good fifth day yeah, the joint was heaving. I compared it to Eden Gardens somewhere. I'm not sure if that was the appropriate comparison because there was only 6,000 people here compared to 60 or 70,000. But, mm. gee, the noise they made. You've bit it up. You started with 4,000 a few minutes ago and well, now you've gone to six. Yeah, well, four, <laughs> I, I thought about it. I think that the earlier figure was four and then we got reported that there was six later. Anyway, the point is... is that By the end of this podcast, there were 183,000 people at the Gavit. Well, that's today. always what Richie Benno said about the tie test match. 6,000 yeah. people there on the final day, 60,000 people told him they were, that they were there. <laughs> so it may, may not quite have that same effect here. But, but still... Yeah, there was that noise that you get from a crowd who are hanging on every moment. Mm. And being ground side, pitch side, doing that interview with Steve Smith at the close of play, he couldn't hear me unless I went right up into his ear because the, the noise from behind us from the fans was deafening. Like, mm. that is amazing stuff. That is, the, mm. that is the experience of being a cricket person that we all share. And anyone listening to this,
this will, will understand that and appreciate that perspective. So, yeah, fair play to everybody who was involved in making it possible. That's one thing we didn't perhaps say on the podcast. As yeah. far as the the teams being in those bubbles, you Josh Hazelwood... You didn't, like, lick your finger and pop it in his ear while you were there? No, not quite, okay. not quite. Uh, Josh Hazelwood hasn't been home for five months. Okay. Uh, he wouldn't be the only one. And I'm, I think Steve... <laughs> he told his nanny he was just going out for Red Rooster. <laughs> 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 hasn't been back. Uh, the Red Rooster chips, Christ. Can we get some of them at some point? Um, no, the, the, while I'm in Australia, we need to get Red, Red Rooster chips. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do a promo for them. I'm, but I'm just referencing a mate of mine here named Easy who did exactly that. He told his mum he was going out on a Thursday night to Red Rooster and came back on like Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met him at various points during that weekend. Right. And it's fast to say, it could have been a film. It would have been one of those coming-of-age films like following his <laughs> misadventures over those days. So, you know, shout out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but like, yeah, the, the Hazelwood story is just one of many. And the Indian players, it's even more acute. Natrajan missing the birth of his child. Siraj missing the funeral of his father. I mean, you know, and I'm sure there are other significant personal milestones mm. that have been missed. And that's the sacrifice these players make. And not just the players either. The staff in the bubbles who really have been under the same conditions yep. as the players. And it's all good and well to talk about the players being millionaires. And yeah, sure they mm. are for the most part. But the functionaries around the teams aren't. Uh, if you're wearing a, you know, uh, wearing a, a badge and, and working behind the scenes in mm. one of the jobs, like you're not making loads and loads of cash. I mean, you're privileged to be part of the, the cricket apparatus. I'm not saying yeah. that yeah. That they're not great jobs, but but still, there is an element of like perspective here that we needs to be remembered about mm-hmm. all the effort that was required to get these test matches on, not just in Australia but around the world over mm-hmm. the last few months. And you know, we and talked I, about that in England last year, but yeah, just a moment for that. It's an important part of conservative politics as well. Something that has taught us is that millionaires can be sad too. You know, millionaires <laughs> have feelings too. Like when they have to give some of their money away in taxes, that makes them sad. You know, when, when they they're trying to play the Australian Open and they're locked in a hotel room and they don't have a private house with a private tennis court to train on they can be sad you know elon musk he's the richest man in the world he's sometimes sad on twitter he's sometimes insane you know but but, you know sadness we can all be sad adam let's have a little bit of empathy for millionaires Nice segue, I think. I don't quite know where that, that came from. but um, So, look, we're, we're, we'll, we'll talk more about Australia and India, I'm sure, over, over the coming weeks. A lot of people found the final word for the first time in the last month, courtesy of the mm. YouTube channel that we started. That was unexpected. That was lovely. So if it you're, didn't mean for that to happen. If, if you're it's watching, like if it's a big night out, you wake up in the morning and you've got a YouTube channel. Yeah, like, you, you've, got, you've got somewhere up towards 25,000 people watching you a day. And, now, and if, that's one of, if you're watching down the barrel of this camera or indeed listening on the podcast feed for the first time, mm. that's really cool. Thanks for being part of it. What we do on the show will become obvious in the weeks to come. We do a weekly show where we often interview a high-profile guest. And we do a weekend show where we talk about the history of cricket and we tell a few stories and hopefully learn a few things along the way. Often mm-hmm. it's Jeffy in Australia and, and me in the UK, but we'll take advantage of the fact that we're both co-located for the next at least few weeks, maybe longer yep. than that, maybe the next few months, depending on where the cricket ends up. So yeah, if you're new, that's great. Thanks for being part of what we're doing. And if you didn't find the YouTube videos and you weren't listening to the India Daily, that's mm. fine as well. If you want to see some beautiful uh, cinematography via Cam Fink and the other mm. camera operators that moonlighted, like my partner Rachel and mm. Dylan Leach and Josh Martin from Cricket Australia, you can see their fine handiwork too uh, via the YouTube yeah. channel. Subscribe, because we're probably going to do more of it. If you want to just watch some video where someone just, just films a bunch of donuts, that's cinematography. That's entirely <laughs> different, so don't get confused. Uh, Jeff, a little bit to get through on the yep. agenda before we um, hit go on the interview. 
we'll spend more time again on this next week, but England did play a test match in Gaul this week, um, which for... <laughs> a very funny one. Yeah, for the longest time we didn't think would happen either. I mean, yeah. I, I mean that was scheduled, and I'm kind of thinking, yeah, they're not really going to go. It's not mm, really going to mm. happen. But to the credit of uh, the ECB, there they are. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, partly a reflection of the fact that Pakistan, West Indies, Ireland, mm. West Indies women, and Australia all went to England in the 2020 mm-hmm. COVID year. So England are now returning the favour, as I'm sure and hope Australia yep. will, will do likewise for the teams that have come here this year. But that first test match, look, it was kind of weirdly not in balance on the night of night three, I think it was, it finished in four days. But um, England chasing 74, and at one stage, uh, you know, three for 20-odd, suddenly it was briefly game on on a pitch that was just exploding. And that's yeah. what we love about test cricket too. You can see a game played at the Gabba today on a track that's hard and mm-hmm. got cracks in it, and you're looking for the cracks to open up. And then you see a dust bowl in Sri Lanka where an entirely different skill set's required to test the batsmen around the world. So it was nice to get that kind of visual contrast going home and watching it. Yeah, um, new ball spin bowling it, it's a different yes. it's different gravy you know Rangana Harath used to do it so well and Embaldenio was the one throwing them down and getting massive dust puffs we were we just sort of turned it on just to have a look at it and then got completely transfixed by it because you know there was a small excavation happening every time the ball landed ragging away a couple of wickets off the edge and then that run out of Joe Root and suddenly yeah they're three for they've lost about three for two and something like that in a very short space of time and it could have come undone and yeah if they'd been chasing 150 instead of 70 they might have um, got resold and he showed some real backbone the left arm spinner because in the first innings where Joe Root makes an unbeaten no he was out for 228 and we'll yeah, come to that more depth in a sec but you know the left arm spinner goes for three for 176 across 45 yep. overs just four maidens never able to really settle and they you know conceded 421 after getting bowled out for 135 on the first day where Don Best cleaned up and took five for 30 you know the arse easily falls out in a situation mm. like that but for Sri Lanka it didn't a good rear guard they made 359 the second time around Thiramani uh, finishing with 111 We've um, kind of taken the piss out of Dhirumani at, at different intervals, it must be said. I think and we've discussed that. Sri Lanka's injury situation is, um, is, is, is emblematized, <laughs> emblematic of that is that he's still getting a game averaging 20 in Test cricket and hadn't made 108 years, and then he did. Then he got 100. Then he made a fine 100. And we were uh, cheering him up? We were. We were in the press box <laughs> watching uh, those last few runs and very excited for him. He had support uh, from uh, Angelo Matthews, the evergreen Angelo Matthews, who made... Mm. 71 and then they yeah we're only setting England 74 for victory so a few bits and pieces to take from the England performance first of all Don Bess on on day one taking five wickets giddy up Stuart Broad three for 20 keeps on keeping on but then with the bat Joe Root I mean Joe Root hasn't made 100 I'm pretty sure I saw a stat that says Stuart Broad took more wickets in that innings than on his previous three tours to Sri Lanka right well there you go that could (laughs) easily be the case and in the second innings he had figures of like eight overs six maidens none for four or or something like that but um, England's first innings Joe Root it's been a long time between drinks Giuseppe Root Giuseppe Giuseppe <laughs> he made that double ton he made that double ton in, in New Zealand probably oh, 15 or so months mm. ago hasn't raised his bat since and at different points in time we've questioned whether maybe the best is 
mm. past him. Mm. Like whether his best cricket was before he was captain and he might play the occasional great innings and would be a consistent contributor. Yeah. Let's not forget that. But that he might not reach the heights that he had in the first chunk of his career. Mm. Well, there you go. 228, stick that up your ass. Batted. He's about to tick over 100 tests, isn't he? He's on 98 or 99 at the moment. Yeah. He's only 30 years of age or might have be just shy. Of, oh, he just turned 30, sorry. Vish wrote a lovely piece about that. I'm sure a number of other people did as well a couple of months ago. And yeah, I mean, yeah, he's been captain for four years and it's hard to be captain when you're the mm. most important player with the bat as well. And often your numbers will reflect that. Yeah. Um, you, we've seen many captains have a batting average with a five in front of it when they start the job and a four in front of it or a three in front of it by the time they finished. But yeah, two, two, eight. from a five to a three, you, you really hit the skits. Yeah, well, maybe a three while they're captain might be yep. the better way of expressing that. Right, but, right. but yeah, Root um, batted for a long period of time and by all reports, I didn't see much of the innings but was just glorious. So yeah. that's exciting for world cricket that we talk about we talked about the big four then it was the big three and then root drop when root dropped out of the big four if you like and yeah. you know there, there might be he might make a return to that top echelon the big four the big four uh, holiday park port Wollonga, <laughs> down at the, the beautiful Florio Florio peninsula one of our um, former sponsors yeah, of the, <laughs> so it, it, in that context it is interesting that root you know, Root does have the problem in inverted commas of making lots of fifties to not so many hundreds. Does you know the the non conversion yes. thing? But when he makes hundreds, he makes doubles. You know, I don't always make hundreds, but when, when I, I do, do, I make double hundreds. I think he's made four doubles, he and he's had like in addition to. I'm picking a number here. About 18 test hundreds. He's got I about... Think it's less even, isn't it? Like right. 13 well, or 14. No, maybe it was 13 a couple of years ago. So well, whatever it is. Let's call it 16 and you know, go halfway. And, and on top of that, he's got 60 other scores above 50 or something along those lines. So I get the criticism um, of him you know, getting starts and, and not necessarily converting as often as he should compared to his peers. But mm. still, it was nice to see. The other thing that was you, nice you to see... You were spot on. I just checked. 18. 18, 18 and, and 49 50s. 49 other half centuries. 49 right. 50s. Yeah, it's a big That's number. That's a lot of 50s. It's it's the reverse no, I mean, Eunice Khan. Yeah, but that's... I mean, that's also good if you've made 49 50s. Yeah, like, yeah. that's a shitload of 50s. And you, looking at the screen here, he's got over 8,000 test runs. Do I read there? Is it yep. over 9,000 yeah, test 8, runs? Yeah, 8,052. you got better eyesight than me with your glasses. But yeah, so there's the Root story there. And there's also the Dan Lawrence story, which is just awesome because a player we've been watching for a number mm. of years, play for Essex, you know, amazing wrists, as everybody is writing about and talking about uh, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> uh, made 73, hit a ridiculous six that went... A million miles and was uh, was written about by everybody and that seemed like that was a pretty cool moment in that mm. test match. Played a, a drive down the ground where he looks like the mirror image, well not the mirror image, he looked like Kevin Peterson Mark II and kind of bottom hand heavy but mm. um, top spin on the ball which is pretty exciting for English cricket that they've been able to blood him while other players haven't been available due to a variety of reasons for this tour and resting mm. of some players as well. So, And then he was there at the end, so uh, batting at the death, well not at the death but batting in pursuit of 74 he made 21 not out alongside Johnny Bairstow, who made 35 not out and 47 the first time around. So take it as a whole. Made sure the panic didn't continue because there was that feeling when they were suddenly, you know, three for none pretty much go down. There was that feeling that, you know, another... That was there were still a few overs to get through, and they did get through those few overs when another couple could have gone, and they could have been in real strife. Yeah, that's right. And I some recommended listening. If you uh, it's like recommended reading, the tab mm. down the bottom where you can click a few links. Uh, Jonathan Agnew interviewed Dan Lawrence's dad on Test Match Special, and it was a, a thing of beauty. Mm. It was just such sort of raw love of the game coming from a sort of cricket upbringing. His dad was the groundsman and, and, that, and that kind of thing. So that was yeah, a highlight seeing a guy uh, make such an impressive first impression at the. Test 
test level and they play their second test next week, Jeff, and we'll talk about that then. We will, and they'll probably be pretty excited to see, you know, Australia being unable to get teams out in the fourth innings and Joe Root making double hundreds and suddenly England supporters might be thinking, maybe it won't be so hard this time around. Well, I've done one interview back to England this morning and the That's first three and the first three questions were about, What you does know, this mean for the Ashes? Well, yeah, but it was more We've got Adam of, Collins on the line with us. Yeah, Adam Collins on the line to talk about why Tim Payne is a dreadful player, dreadful captain, sack him, makes the, all that kind of, you know, oh, you can... Yeah, yeah, so that's where it's going to head because it always does because it's an Ashes year, but we will try and maintain some level <laughs> of dispassionate balance on the final word I, as we I work our say, way through I that. Will, I will say for Tim Payne that um, I can't wait to get you to the Gabba. It just doesn't, doesn't really hit with quite the same force now, does it? Oh, look, <laughs> Tim Payne's had a shit-ass week and he's been scrutinised accordingly by both of us. Oh, I and, just thought that particularly uh, was funny. I can't wait to get you to the Gabba so we can concede the series losing match to your team. Yeah, losing a test match here for the first time since 1988 and the sledge of Ashwin and the fact that he didn't keep particularly well and the buyers that were let through today, although mm. I don't think many of them necessarily were his fault. But yes, on the whole, there will be scrutiny of Tim Payne, but I don't think they're going to you know, sack him before South Africa no. in a couple of weeks. Just on that, last point of business before we get to a very special segment that I always enjoy on this show. South Africa is where Australia go next mm -hmm. and we learnt during the week, uh, courtesy of my colleague Ryan Harris who broke the story on, on the coverage uh, uh, on, on day four I think it was, that that tour will be going ahead. They'll be taking off on the 24th of February. The first test match, unclear when it'll be but presumably early March and that's a great thing. Uh, they'll be at Johannesburg and Centurion, three test matches presumably in the space of three weeks so they will fulfil their commitment to go over there when a few weeks ago it looked like they wouldn't. Okay. Those grounds are near one another and so yep. they'll go bang, bang, you know, back and forth between the Wanderers and yeah. Centurion. They'll do uh, what Sri Lanka did essentially. Done. They yeah. can stay somewhere which is maybe not equidistant but close enough to both. And the South African version of the Big Four holiday park, yes. Port Wollongo. I'm sure it is. Jeff, with that all said, with that all done, I think it's time for... Nerd Pledge! Nerd Pledge. It is a game. It's a fun game. It's a game that we play with people on our patron page. Bless them. They support the show and, and help us keep making it. And they do that by sending us donations. But they're not just ordinary numbers of dollars and cents. They're numbers that relate to cricket in some way. And we have to decode what that number means. The first of them comes in from Sachmo Distel. And the number is $7.53 and there was a clue you don't have to send a clue but you can and Satchmo did saying that this was the greatest bowling performance I've ever seen and well of course I mean the first thing that sprung to mind was Chris Cairns <laughs> against Bangladesh at Hamilton picking up 7 for 53 you know Chris Cairns are very keen on suing people for defamation so I will describe him carefully as a sports betting enthusiast Chris Cairns <laughs> um, who, who, who took another 7 for in his test career as well um, before he got interested in those things and that was also at Hamilton so I don't know what it was about the Hamilton. Tron Seddon yeah. Park yeah. one of my favourite grounds in the world whenever I get put to me as, as we both do from time to time where is your favourite ground in the world I mm -hmm. always have like a special mention for Seddon Park okay. um, I, you know the National Stadium at Dhaka in Bangladesh mm -hmm. and Seddon Park in Hamilton the two forgotten great grounds of world cricket please continue yeah no I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and a great ground for Chris Cairns who enjoyed bowling against the 1999 West Indies and against Bangladesh, presumably teams that weren't great against swing bowling. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that obviously that jumps out at me, but yep. I, fe I feel like you may have a better suggestion for 753. Well, Depending how old Satchmo is, I don't know what yeah. Satchmo's vintage is. Well, Could he have been watching... 
Test cricket in 1985. I suspect so. I mean, we've, we've corresponded with Satchmo a bit, and we love his work, and it's great to have him um, on and, the show this week. Anyone with his whose screen name is named after Louis Armstrong, you know, sort of, there's, there's, probably that's an older vintage. I was going to say, I don't think he's a kid, so I reckon mm. there's a chance he was watching cricket in 1984, and he would identify Malcolm Marshall, mm-hmm. 7 for 53 at Headingley uh, that year as the finest performance he had seen. Marshall in 84, there was perhaps never a better overall in that year of 84 you often hear people talk about how well he bowled then uh, and you often see I, I can't remember how many wickets he took in the calendar year but it was a shitload of course that big tour of England there as well so Malcolm Marshall took um, yeah 7 for 53 at Leeds um, after he broke his thumb fielding he'd only bowled 6 overs in the first innings and uh, then he came back to destroy England the second time around and mm. they went 3-0 up in the series and, and so they went on their merry way yeah no, it, it's, it goes down as one of the great psych outs where England were not expecting him to bowl. He did come out and bat. They weren't expecting him to bat either, um, uh, which he did. But yeah, he, suddenly he was there for the second innings warming up with a plaster cast on his hand. And they tried to game that by saying he couldn't bowl with it because it would distract the, mm-hmm. the batsman. So he went off and wrapped it all up in elastoplast so it, you know the white was covered yeah. up and then just bowled them out. <laughs> Don't make Malcolm Marshall annoyed. Um, yeah, with a with a small lead that, that the West Indies knocked off and went 3-0 up and won the series. Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, Sachmo, uh, let us know if we've got it right. We love talking to you anyway. That's one of the things we should mention to new watchers slash listeners as yep. well. We can't edit Watchers, out- don't slash listeners, all right? You need to get along. <laughs> If you are watching this, you won't get the benefit of the smooth editing that I'm sure DC would have edited me out stumbling over my words there. That's no, no, part why, of why I did you do that? It was funny. We, we'll should, we should always keep it. Time will sell. Uh, but, um, yeah, if you knew and you haven't seen what we're doing, Jeff explained yeah. Nerd Pledge, but the other part of this is the community we have on our Patreon page, which is a lovely one, hmm. where people who enjoy cricket and enjoy what we do correspond with each other or correspond with us. It's a lovely place to be. So yeah. Satchmo, who talks to us there, let us know. Let Are us we know. right? 7 for 53. Is it Chris Cairns? Is it Malcolm Marshall? We'll find out when we do, hopefully, uh, the uh, the history show, Storytime, on the weekend. What's next, Jeff? Our next one comes from Graham Hartley, who I hope is some relation to Alex Hartley, the left-arm spinner for it's England. It's not her dad, whose okay. name I think from memory from that TikTok video during uh, <laughs> during the uh, lockdown last year is David, I reckon. No wonder you're I getting reckon. a lot of calls from England. We, we now cross to Alex Hartley, TikTok expert, Adam Collins. You know, what I, you know that TikTok video that she did? Uh, she, she was at, you know, the TikTok dancers that became a real thing. Oh, during, yeah, yeah. yeah, did one with her dad and I just got a feeling in the back of my mind his name was David. But anyway, I might be wrong. Maybe Graham Hartley is the, the father of Alex. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. maybe Alex listens. She has been on the final word in some capacity before, I'm pretty sure. Maybe the video version of it yeah. back in World Cup 2017. I think that's right. Um, and does her own podcast. Which she does. No balls. no balls. You can go and listen to that. The number from Graham is $4.56. 456, you know, boot scootin' baby style. 456, <laughs> putting them all together. Maybe Graham's a big Marcus Harris fan because it did jump out at me that that's a very recent Australian test cap number, um, yeah. which which belongs to Marcus Harris. He's he an played. extremely likable guy, Marcus Harris, by yeah. the way. I, I am... Forming the view that he may not have a long international career. Look, who knows, maybe he will. But I'm going to enjoy watching him do it. Well, I spoke to him the other day over the boundary line, and he's kind of to the point, yeah. says what he reckons. and he's funny. I, and I'm into, Yeah, he's kind of quirky and funny, and I, I'm into that. We had the microphone up way too high, and he was kind of talking up to it, and it was all good laugh. So anyway, Marcus Harris, 456. It could be. There's that. But I reckon, I reckon, I reckon this. So before there was Ben Stokes at Headingley, 
and I guess after there was Ian Botham at Headingley, somewhere <laughs> yes. in between at Headingley, there was Mark Butcher. Ah. Mark Butcher in the 2001 Ashes. What an innings. When, look, England got pasted 4-1, but in the one, the one that they won was at Headingley where England got set, I can't remember what it was, 300 and... Something three oh nine. It was three, yeah, three twenty. Low three hundreds. Yeah, it was low 300s and they declared due to rain. Adam Gilchrist was captain. Simon Caddish made his test debut that mm-hmm. week at Leeds. Steve Waugh was out having um, there was the DVT related hamstring mm. bit going on. Wasn't the there? DVT extras, <laughs> if you will. The DVT extras. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Gilchrist gave a generous declaration. Probably not too dissimilar to the score that India chased here, actually. But Mark Butcher was never better than yeah in that fourth Test match in two thousand and one. One seven three nine out in that match and got them home and the reason I mention it is that in that series he made 456 oh, runs, very good. the number is 456 456 for Butcher, he also took his best bowling figures in that series when he got 4 for 42 at Edgebaston um, picked up Damien Martin in the gully, I remember watching that live actually, Warren Lee and Gillespie and, and then they tried to use him with the ball a couple more times in the series and every time he came on Adam Gilchrist just made a point of battering him out of the <laughs> attack as if to say, no, you cannot Keep bowling. Like, you are not an option to keep bowling. Yeah. So. Uh, two other things about Butch. The 100 he made at Sydney in 2003 is a great underrated Ashes 100 for mine on day one with Brett Lee bowling heat and he batted and batted and batted and got to raise the bat. And, that yeah, 4 for 42 at Edgbaston in 2001 would suggest that he was used after England copped a fair bit of tap. Yeah. <laughs> through. Like, so Martin made 100, Gilchrist made, made a rapid 100, Hayden made 100. They all kind of made 100s mm. there, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. So he, he might have been, like, used as fourth change. And, and cashed in, but he, fair enough. Yeah, he was used in desperation, and then he picked up Martin with it. A little bit of a way swing, and they had, I think, a couple behind point for Damien Martin, and, and he fell into that trap. And then they left Butcher on, and he went on a roll. So four fifty six in the series. That's my bit. There's one other bit that jumped out for me. Four five six is what Graham Gooch made at Lords across two Test innings, of course, in in nineteen ninety. Three 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 in the first dig, and if you subtract. Uh, 333 from 456 that must mm-hmm. mean that he made 123 in the second innings I just real I mean I've looked at the Gooch numbers many times and uh, it only just occurred to me that he made 123 which meant that he totaled 456 That's really good isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that only only just it's fitting out. that it sits on nerd pledge yeah. that, that would come up so Easy. Graham have we have we got that right again if we haven't let us know drop us yeah. a line on the patron page via the inbox and we'd love to find out more yep and if you want to play nerd pledge with us just go to patreon.com slash the final word you can send in a number and you can help us keep the show going a little bit of correspondence in as well from Sam Ashworth because we like a niche sort of cricket rules point when someone apropos of nothing just sends us this and Sam says, you know, following from the discussion on law tweaks, as we were talking about other things, about dead ball and LBW reviews and so on, he said, for years I've been calling for dead ball after a direct hit from an attempted run out. Overthrows off a direct hit when the batter has made the ground has always seemed an unfair punishment for a superb bit of skill. He reckons if you miss the stumps and there's no one backing up too bad, you can get overthrows. But if you hit the stumps, the ball should be dead. Expecting a 360 backup is a bit unreasonable. And I like that Sam says, I've been calling for years. For years I've been calling for this. I, I don't know who you've been ringing up, Sam, getting Jeff Allardyce on the phone. <laughs> like, look, we've got to talk. Taking out an ad on a billboard outside ICC headquarters in Dubai. You you live for this, Sam, and I respect that. I think the great man Fraser at the MCC might get an email from me about this because usually when... 
when something is as it is, it's because of un- unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. So I can't quite work out what the unintended consequences of this would be from Sam, but I'll find out and I'll let you know. I'll drop you a line. But to me, yeah. on first impression, I think that's a pretty reasonable point. Dead right. Because, yeah, there's a risk-reward when you take a ping at the non-striker's end mm. and so on, but should that extend to having actually executed the task mm. as you wish to do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, never thought about it, but I like it. Yeah, if you take it on and you miss... You can get punished. But if you're good enough, you can't. You can send us an email on finalwordcricket at gmail.com. Yeah. Better still, send us a Patreon message. Patreon.com forward slash the final word. I think, Jeff, that's about the right place for us to leave it yep. at the Gabba. What we'll do is we'll have a brief interval. We'll talk a little bit about satellite phone technology. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be back with Melbourne Stars and Australian all-rounder Marcus Doinis. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. Zolio! <laughs> For the first time in 2021, Jeff, why don't you tell us all about this nifty little device? You can attach it to your hip, mm-hmm. you can put it in your top pocket. Yep. It's smaller than a pack of fags and it mm-hmm. might save your life. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's quite the intro. I like that your thing has become the booming carnival announcer voice. So if you wanted, you could probably surgically embed it under your skin. If you, I, mean, I don't know. There are options. But, you know, if you've ever thought it's nice to have a satellite phone because you can ring someone from anywhere in the world, but they're really expensive and uh, you can't afford one, there's a different thing you can do, which is get this nifty little magic box called a Zolio. It's about this big. I'm, I'm showing it with my fingers to the camera. And uh, and what it does is connect to satellites in the sky, very high up in the sky, not as high as I said they were. I think I was wrong about 16,000 kilometres, but, you know, <laughs> it sounded good. It was a good number. Maybe there are some at that range. I don't know. I'm not a space guy. But it pings that down to your normal phone. So you get your... Gen, you know, general smartphone, telephone, and it gets connected to the box. And then rather than being one you make voice calls on, you can send text messages or emails to anyone on the planet from anywhere on the planet. You can be floating on an ice flow because your Antarctic voyage uh, hit the rocks, not the rocks, the ice, got the trapped ice. in the ice, the endurance got crushed, you and Shackleton are floating around on an ice <laughs> flow. And if Shackleton had had a Zolio, he would have just been able to be like, uh, what's up? at Elephant Island HMU, you know, and, and he would have been able to send that to Chile and they would have been able to send a boat down um, instead of doing what he had to do, which is sail across 1,400 kilometres of open ocean in a tiny whale boat um, while winter was coming on and then climb over the mountains on the island of Georgia. Could have avoided all that with Zolia. Could have sent a you up, question mark. Mm-hmm. Late drink, question yeah. mark. Yeah. Never had a late drink before. Yeah. Why don't we have one tonight? I've just butchered 4,000 penguins. <laughs> Want to come around and eat them? <laughs> That's what they had to do because the winter was coming on. The, the first, I mean, they were down there for about three winters because it took them that long to get out. But we, they, they got to Elephant Island and were like, hey, we, we need to leave all the dudes here while me and a couple of other guys try to sail a boat to get help. And the guys who were left there were like, uh, okay, we need food to eat over the winter. And so they just had to kill thousands of penguins and like store them all in the snow and then eat them all winter. When you say Elephant Island, I think of like Oliver's Army. Elephant Island, we're here to stay. <laughs> Speaking of satellites yeah. and going to different parts of the world, mm. 2021, mm. I suspect will be my return to the Eurovision Song Contest okay. for it is at at Rotterdam mm-hmm. and Rotterdam is not too far away from the UK it's not and historically the last time I went to Eurovision if Shackleton only had to take a boat from the UK to Rotterdam it would have been a much easier absolutely trip. and assuming that it, it takes place and everyone and you know and everyone's vaccinated maybe that's too much to ask for given it's in mid-May but time will tell let's assume it is usually the former winners 
or hang out at the Euro Club each year. They do a number of press engagements okay. and so forth. And Lena, who won in 2009 with Satellite, mm. the German songstress, she was there last time. I expect she'll be there again. Right. And my goal this year is to get her to record a Zolio ad okay. talking about the satellites in the sky, maybe incorporating um, some of them into her winning entry from all those years ago. There we go. If you can't work Zolio into a song, you're not really you should you don't deserve to, to win the eurovision song contest i don't think you can call yourself a musician frankly if you can't work it into a song somewhere pick up your game what, what did you study what did you learn so, so, so to get one of these bad boys zolio.com yep z-o-l-e-o.com uh you can get one you do a little you know monthly subscription thing they're uh, very affordable and then you can text or email anyone in the world from anywhere in the world and you don't have to be an explorer you might just be someone who lives in one of those red Red zones? No, dead zones where there's no yeah. coverage on the on the, the Red zones mean something else these days. Does. The urban fringe are in the country where you can't get good reception. You will be able to send messages on Zolio. Thank you, Jeff. So Zolio, the most beautiful man in the cosmos, mm-hmm. including the two black holes. That's it. Zolio.com. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. The Melbourne Stars have their last five games in Melbourne. The crowd is capped at 15,000, so pre-book your tickets at melbournestars.com.au. It's a unique season, so the MCG will likely be a sellout. And with that all said, we welcome Melbourne Stars superstar Marcus Stoinis to the final word. Thanks for being with us. That's good to be here. I mentioned off the top that you got those five games at the G. I mean, different circumstances granted, but the fact that you're just about in a situation now where you need to win all your home games, would that be right? Yeah, I think three or four games out of these next five. And um, Mm. four to be sure, three might leave some things to chance. So it's an important stage. It's been a fairly ridiculous 12 months for everybody. Tell us about your last year or so and what it's it's looked like and uh, where you've ended up now. Yeah, it has been odd, hasn't it? Um, I mean, no one, no one really knows what, what what to expect when you go into this sort of thing. And and now we've been on the road for a while. I got home for for Christmas, but pretty much since August twenty, I'd been I'd been on the road, been in the hub, been in hotels in Dubai, in England, staying at cricket grounds in England, and then a bit of quarantine in Australia and all the rest. And then now it just continues and. It, it does get hard at certain times where you can't see the end. You know the next tour is coming to New Zealand and then you're back to the IPL and then what's the vaccine doing? But it's uh, it's not really a, a time when you can get too far ahead of yourself. you just got to adapt to what's going on, I guess. Yeah, I suppose you'd be a cricketer who will end up in more consecutive bubbles than almost anybody due to your you know, sort of T20 uh, performances in India and, and in, uh, in Dubai earlier, well, late last year. Do you, have you done a sort of a rough calculation all up as to how many months on, on the bounce you'll end up in sort of a harbour of bubble? Yeah, so oh, I think um, I actually try not to think about it because I don't think it helps. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like I said, from August, this could uh, keep going all the way through to, through the IPL, which will be end of April I guess and then I know I do know that there's I had a quick look at the future tours there's a there's a one day or 2020 tour to the West Indies straight after that and then um, there's a new 100 ball competition in England and by the time that's done you're, you're in August so this could quickly turn from from three four five weeks away to nearly the whole year 
Oof. So you might just be driving like a tanker truck of vaccination around, just like hosing down the entire world. Just like, please, please get this sorted out as quickly as possible. I think everyone's going to be like that, aren't they? I think um, we're so. We're, the other thing is we're so lucky here. I don't know. Everyone says it, but I mean, it's 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 almost like it's non-existent in Australia compared to what we're seeing in America and stuff. So even me personally, I don't have any true idea i think of of how bad it is and how quickly it can spread and and what it means you just um at the moment you just got to do what you got to do and everyone's got to got to stick by these rules usually with these interviews marcus we kind of go back to the start of your life in cricket and and we track it from the start and and work where we are to today um uh, but before we do that we thought it might be interesting to get a flavor from you as to the, the sort of the questions you get asked all the time which must grate you at some point at some level uh, you must start because you do seem to draw a certain type of question does it get a bit repetitive having to uh, talk about how big your arms are and how big your chest is and all the rest? i know it's fun at some level but is that the sort of thing where after a while you're like come on guys uh, there's, there's a bit more to me than uh, than my rig yeah yeah look you got to play that up a little bit as well so i'm just as guilty as some other people so um yeah yeah so it, it is funny it does have its place but i think also yeah i feel sorry for some people that listen that only hear the same thing about the about the biceps or the chest and that sort of thing so i'm happy for you guys to lead that off topic and go some go somewhere else if need be <laughs> Bicep stories with Marcus Stoinis. Um, well, why don't we wind all the way back and, and tell us about you growing up and and how you came to meet cricket for the first time or for the first few times when you were a kid. Growing up, um, super competitive, super little, almost little, just a little shit, really. Um, <laughs> ev- everything was a game. Everything I wanted to win, everything I wanted to learn and try and be better, and it's and it sounds and and most of this stuff I only realise when you when you look back at what you were doing when you were a kid. So I reflect a lot because I um, I've lost my dad three years ago, just over three years ago. So I, I surprisingly do actually think about these things and when you're a kid and why you are a bit the way you are or what lessons your dad taught you. And for me, am I like my dad? Because every every son wants to be like their dad. Sort of that's the that's one of the beautiful relationships. So yeah, super competitive. We'd start with whatever game it was, whether it was throw uh, tissue paper into the cup while we're watching TV, and that would go for two hours, two hours until until the, <laughs> until I won. Um, we'd play table tennis, but Dad would be it. I'd lose twenty one to like three. This was this mm. wasn't like the, the kid that got to learn how to get in the game and build something. <laughs> This is bullying. <laughs> oh, it, it, Dad's just challenging you to arm wrestles when you're six. He's exactly. like, come on, what do you got? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, so the, the competitive side was always there. All got drummed into me, either or. I don't know which one came first. And then with cricket, it purely started because when you're at school, one, you're playing all the sports, but then your mates start to say, oh, let's let's go down a whatever Scarborough Cricket Club I'm going to go down there and play start playing cricket let's get a team together so yeah that's that's when it all started just with your mates doing that sort of thing and even then then just the character that I was I wanted to bat I wanted to bowl then I'd ask if I could wicket keep then I'd say oh that guy's bowling spin can I bowl some spin as well so I'd, I would have hated to coach me honestly but that's uh that's kids so it's all right I guess in terms of your uh, development as a junior and, and so on were you the sort of kid where 
when you were playing, it was pretty obvious that you were going to have chances to play further up the chain. Like that is to say, were you playing in rep squads and being identified by you know the West Australian setup and all the rest of it as a teenager, or did it take a bit longer for you to mature as a player? Yeah, I was I was playing in those in those rep squads, but I wouldn't have said that I was the most talented or anything like that. I was um, believe it or not, I was a small kid. I didn't didn't always have these biceps and chest. See, I went there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought those up because I wanted to ask about the biceps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I was quite a small kid, so like never, never really bowled too much, never bowled quick or anything like that, never hit the ball out of the ground. But yeah, I I still, still had the talent there to to find my way into certain squads and to play for WA in the under 17s and 19s and Mm. Australia Mm. under 19s and that sort of thing. But I never, never really considered myself. I don't think. I actually remember we sat down at a awards night after the under seventeens um, one uh, competition for Australia, and they said, "Oh, who thinks that they're going to one day play for Western Australia?" It was all the West Australian boys, and you know you're sitting down and you don't know who's behind you. you. I was sort of towards the front, and I put my hand up, but I was the only one that put my hand up, and so then everyone starts laughing, mm. and everyone thinks that you're. you're <laughs> oh, well, I was better than him, but why is he putting his hand up, or this and all that sort of stuff, the usual stuff. But in my head, I was like, I can't believe no one's put their hand up. In my head, I I didn't think I was a superstar or anything like that, but I thought that for some reason, I just thought, I'm going to play for Australia. So how am I going to play for Australia if I'm not even playing for Western Australia? Or how am I going to play for any of these teams if I don't even think that I can play for them? So that was just my... That was... I think I'm pretty sure that must have just been how how I was raised, how I was talked to, all those sort of things. And but you have to, I think you have to have that. I mean, you have to to a certain extent believe you can do something before you're going to do it. Otherwise, you don't even start. It does seem strange if if people are practicing to potentially be professional athletes and not thinking that they actually have the ability to go on and do it. Yeah, and then and then maybe some people think that it's. Um, it's arrogant to say that or whatever whatever it is but I'm like 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 you said you're you're tra- you're putting all this time into do to, towards being a professional in something you're allowed to say that you think you can do it it's, it to to a fair degree I think we've concluded that arrogance is necessary to be that good at something to be that dedicated and get to the very very top of it you have to have a fair degree of ego going on there yeah I think I think it is a necessary part to an extent. I think I think everyone's got it deep down. There's there's the dark side or whatever side you want to say that that feeds that sort of motivation. And also, whether it's arrogance or confidence, that's a fine line. And different people have different descriptions of that. And but yeah, I think in order to keep challenging yourself every day and not to get too complacent with where you're at and to find the motivation. Motivation is a is an odd one that, like you said, we've been away for a long time and it's not every day that you wake up motivated to go to training or motivated for that next game. That is an art in itself. That's a, that's a skill set. People say, for example, I don't think I was that talented physically as I'm not the most... I'm not a Josh Phillippe like we watched last night, who was moving around the crease, dancing pretty much like an AB, young AB de Villiers, moving the ball, the third man, then fine leg, then over mid-off. Like, that's super talented. But for my talent, I think my talent would be 
probably things like my optimism, probably things like work ethic or discipline, um, and they're hard to to measure. But I'm but the further I go through my career, the, the more I realise, geez, you are pretty disciplined, or you do have the optimism to push through and to do this and to keep believing or to keep trying or to you know. So I, th- I think they're they're all different skill sets that. Um, even I'm only starting to realise which ones I've got more than others. It's interesting you go back to like WA under-17s as a bit of a, a point in time where you thought you could go all the way. And it can be a, a lot of guys play sort of underage cricket for their state and that's kind of it. They, they hang their hat off that and that's the, the, the point of difference when they're at the club when they're 35, oh, I once played Victorian under-19s or whatever it is. But that's when it can go either way and that's when you end up absorb within the, the senior system and make a debut for your state at age 19. Uh, who are your major influences around that formative stage, I suppose? And is this around the time you start to fall under the wing of Justin Langer as well? Yeah, it's around, it's around that time, maybe one or, one or two years before that. Um, yeah, so he played at my cricket club when I was back in Perth. He played at Scarborough Cricket Club. And the type of person that he was is he'd, finish, he'd play a test match and he'd get back to WA and he'd come down to training on Tuesday. He'd come down to training on the Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was with a Cricket Australia bag full of full of shoes and all this sort of stuff and clothes. And, and I was a small kid, but I wasn't that small. And my feet were not fitting into a size bloody six or seven, whatever he wears. And, but, but the boys, you, you should see, some of the boys would just grab their shoes. They wouldn't fit, and they, but they'd still wear them for half a year. And they'd, every time they'd pull them off, they had blisters everywhere. They'd, their toes were deformed, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like anything, anything free and anything f- from an Australian cricket you're going to take and you're going to put them on. Yeah, yeah. Just put some orthotics in or something. But yeah, so he, he was, uh, and things like, so then, so then I've, we'd go, he needed a boxing partner. So I'm like, yep, I'm in. Let's go boxing. So I'd meet him and we'd do, we'd do some boxing or his batting coach, um, Noddy Holder at the time. I was using the same batting coach, who I still use now, who's been a massive, massive factor in my development and my as me as a person. So yeah, I'd go train with him there, and so we had a we had a similar network of people around. But he he almost helped set that standard or raise that standard as to what it means if you want to actually do this, if you want to be a professional cricketer. Some of the things you have to do, some of the things you have to sacrifice. So he helped me set those, set a few, quite a few of those values. And on that note, so in terms of informative people, my batting coach definitely was one of them. They're, the batting coach is a weird thing in cricket. They they wear many hats. They're almost like your 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 best mate. Then you they're challenging you all the time, but then they're also giving you girlfriend advice when you're 17. They're also the psychologist. They're also um, you know they they they're just they're just they see you when you're almost vulnerable because you're just in this mm. not many times in, in life I think you're just in this area where you're just trying to be as good as you can be at something and it brings yeah. out other emotions it brings out negative emotions it brings out doubt it brings out all these sort of things and this poor batting coach is sitting there going Jesus I didn't sign up for this I thought I was going to teach him how to hit a bloody <laughs> off drive um, but yeah so those two, and um, and the obvious one is, is my dad, who who was just the best man that I, I'm the luckiest person ever to have him as my dad. Unwavering support, um, 
we used to he'd set the standard it was never I'd never miss a game it was always if we went when I was young down south on holiday that was four hours down on the coast of, of Western Australia and I had a game on Saturday I'm playing under nines no we're not missing it we're driving back so we'd drive back in the morning we're heading back I'd usually get a a duck or something because every time I went back I was like oh no I've made dad drive and so we're going to try so hard <laughs> and I'd get out and I'd get in the car and we'd start driving back and I was like dad that was a big place and he's like nah we're never missing a game we're never missing a game <laughs> so yeah I was lucky we just did yeah so but yeah around that 19 years old is when when I uh, started working a lot closer with JL a couple of questions that raises. One was there were there a bunch of podiatrists in Perth who were like, "We can't figure out why all these kids are getting deformed feet," without realizing that it's because they're all jamming Justin Langer's shoes on. Um, two, what, what's the rest of your home life like at that point? You know, through your through your teenage years and um, like when you're really starting to get into cricket. What's what's the other side of that at home? Um, so I've got a really close family. And when at this stage, about 19, I'm studying at UW, University of Western Australia, I'm studying commerce degree, really close with my sister, Natasha, she's at uni studying medicine, and then mum and dad, obviously super close, but going through this super tough time, because that's when, when I was 17 or 18, just turning 18, that's when dad found out that he, he had cancer. So at this stage, it was pretty much for me uni and cricket and in between it was in this real rush of trying to find out what's happening with dad really for all of us yeah. who were he was given three years to live at that stage so three years and then I'm thinking three years I'm 18 you lose your dad at 21 there's so much you don't know you haven't even you didn't you haven't invested the time yeah. to learn things that you want to learn from him you there's just way too much, way like way too much. So this that's where my head went straight away. I remember Dad went to the doctor when he found out. That same doctor told me he had three years. He never spoke to that doctor again. Walked out of there, went straight to the next doctor, and he said, "I'm not talking to a doctor that thinks I'm I'm gone in three years." Huh. And so, but these and these things like they're not they're not to say that's the right thing or that that's tough or anything like that. But these are the things that he was. He ended up living for 12 years after that and he went to Spain for treatment once a month to get uh, to, to trial a new drug that was obviously on was on trial. He was flying back and forth to Peter McCullum Centre, he was going to Sydney, he was going to Melbourne. He had different chemos, different radiations, tablets, some that made his... Some made the hair come out, some didn't, some made his hair turn, uh, his eyes turn pink, some were, like, made them red. Bone marrow transplant surgeries, all this sort of stuff. And what I've, again, what I'm learning is you can, as a, as a parent or a dad, he could have told me all these things about you don't give up, you try hard, keep looking for different avenues. If one avenue closes down, you can always manipulate this and move to another thing and tell you, you you're in control just keep going keep going you'll find something if you want it all the, all the things that dads dads say I think most dads would say but then through an unlucky circumstance but luckily I had this man who was getting going through the worst stages of his life and would not stop and would not would travel would 
talk to different doctors, would be on the internet all night, would all like he he literally just had the chance then to show me everything that I thought I wanted to be or as a character. He had the chance to show me, and he did it for twelve years. So very lucky for me in terms of it means when you come here and you you're in the bubble or when you go to England when I was young I went to England was catching the train and going from place to place and there not to say that the bubble is anything like that but the the character traits that it that my dad passed on to me or when I look back I'm like oh you can just deal with it you just adapt you get good people around you, you pick up the phone um, if you need to become a better cricketer ring Dennis Lilly. If you need to learn how to bowl, ring Dennis Lilly. If you want to learn how to bat and you don't know why you're doing it wrong, talk to Virat Kohli. You've got his number. That's what he'd say to me. You've got his number, call him. Call A.B. de Villiers. Call Steve Smith. If you need to be a better runner, find Matt Shervington or whatever whatever it is, you know? Like, just act on these things, do these things, ask questions. Yeah, I got a bit off topic, but they're, they're, that's um, when I was at that age, this, this is where my head was at. It was busy. No, it's an incredibly powerful reflection. Thanks for uh, sharing it with us. And I suppose when I was going through looking at your career, I mean, there is a, a, a big shift from one side of the country to the other. And I suppose now with the context you're explaining, that mustn't have been taken lightly moving to Victoria when the opportunities weren't quite there in, in Perth and, and you make a big decision to move to Victoria. I suppose it would have been all the tougher knowing that, you know, your dad was going from place to place for treatment, and you obviously were so close with him. Mm, yeah, that was a, that was a big time. Um, again, at the moment, he 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 helped me with that. So we went to I remember we went to Adelaide because I spoke to um, spoke to the coaches there at that time, mm. and uh, and we walked out of the meeting. They said, "Oh, look, we'd love to have him. We can't offer him a contract, but he can come and train with us." And walked out, and Dad could tell I was like a bit flat. I was like, "Okay, we'll see." Um, we started walking around Adelaide, and and uh, and Dad goes, "What do you What do you think?" I was like, "Oh, yeah, Adelaide's all right. This is okay. Maybe this could work." And he goes, "Fuck Adelaide. You're not living here." And he goes, "If you think if if we're moving, if you're moving, and you want to become a professional cricketer, if that's the whole reason you're doing it." then I don't even know why we came here in general. Why, why don't you just pick where do you want to live? Where's going to make you the happiest person? And then you just invest. Once you're there, you invest everything in your cricket. You just go, you just try and, and as long as you can do that, then everything's going to turn out fine. And I was like, all right, well, let's go to Melbourne. We're off to Melbourne. And um, that's how we picked because I didn't, I didn't get, didn't have a meeting with anyone from Melbourne. I um, did not train once with Victoria for the first 18 months. Did not play a second eleven game. Yeah, so the way that was that was working, that was, but it was the the most influential stage of my career because I started working with a sports psychologist. I started putting in habits that I never even knew, and even now people say psychologist and things like this, and they think, oh, that means that he's struggling with this, with mm. problems with this, all that sort of stuff. But it's we work so hard physically. We work so hard on technique, on all these things. I've worked since I was nine on hitting a cover drive. I still can't hit a cover drive. You know, like these are the things. <laughs> and then yet we think that we're meant to all have control over our mind, which is the most uncontrolled thing probably that we've got. 
who can't, uh, you know, and we, we don't know. When I was 18, 19, how do I know what are good structures to put in place to give me the best chance to perform? I had no idea. But we yeah. like to, some for some reason, think we do or, that, or get too proud that we've got to figure it out ourselves, all these sort of things. But that was the best thing that I did. And it was almost at a stage where when you're at that stage of no one's helping you and you've got to help yourself yeah. and you can't get to where you want to get to, you dig so deep. And I, I, was, I was as motivated, as disciplined, as, as I've ever been in my whole life through those stages when I didn't have the contracts that I wanted. And so to put these habits in place, I think that was almost the best time to do it. It sounds like it must have been a time of uh, like a fair bit of mental turmoil because you've, on the one hand, you've got this really positive example from your dad. On the other hand, you've got this fear hanging over you that, you know, he's been given this diagnosis where you just don't know it sort of, it could, could get worse at any time. And, and for the third part of it, you're moving away, you've got this new start um, and you've got this optimism as well. So all of those things sound like they're, they're all crashing together at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, and, and even as even as you say it, I go, geez, that's pretty busy. It's, that's a that's a busy mm. busy mind, or that's an emotional period of, of time, sort of thing. So it was, and and again, my, my the sports psychologist I worked with, um, his name's Dave Diggle, and the only reason I found him was because he was on Sports Tonight doing an interview about how he's working with the Wallabies, and yeah. my dad wrote his name down. and He said, I think you should give this guy a call, and. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just how it worked. But you're right; it was a very important time for me. And looking back, like it's hmm. yeah, it's um, it's shaped me and it's changed the whole tra- trajectory of my career. Call Tim Webster. You've got his number. <laughs> ask ask him who that bloke was. <laughs> the next bit, the Victoria bit, as you mentioned, such an important stage in developing you as a player and getting those opportunities. Was there a, a turning point? Was there a, a, a time when, when the switch was flicked and you went from being a grade cricketer to being a, a state cricketer? Was there, a, was there a, a, a period of time in a season where you knew you were ready to, to take the next step big time? It was just slowly over those, over those years spent in Melbourne. The, the first year of club cricket, I started learning a little bit more about myself. First time I'd lived away from home properly, all that sort of thing. But I remember in the second season that I'd moved over, I really started to apply a lot of the things that I was learning and a lot of the, to the mental side or to the discipline side and also got me in touch with, again, some people, I think so many people get frustrated because for so long their dream would be whatever it is to play sport or, or for mm. example, cricket. And I see it all the time. Like I see some of the young kids now, you see it in their face that they actually want this so much, but they have no idea of... But this same person has never asked Glenn Maxwell a question about batting, has never asked David Hussey a question about preparation and being an all-rounder or Luke Wright about opening the batting or, you know, so there's, there's these, and there's, you know they want it, but they don't have any idea of how to start creating it for themselves and that people are there to help and that you can, you're in control of a lot of this stuff. And so I think that's what I started learning and got encouraged. I remember I was at the SCG and Steve Waugh was there having a, having a coffee with someone. And my sports psych said, uh, Dave said, he goes, um, 
I think it'd be great if you walked up to him now and introduced yourself and just said hi and that you'd like to ask him a couple of questions one day and if that's okay. And I refused. I was yeah. like, no, nah, I'm not going. And I didn't go. No, no chance. So that, like, <laughs> I, so when I now see kids, other people doing it, I'm like, I understand that 100%. But I needed to get over that and that, which I did eventually, and then it helped me with other things. But yeah, so at this stage when I was in Melbourne playing club, club cricket, it's not until I went through a stage where I would have made, averaged, played eight, eight games and made 800s. And I was like, okay, I'm learning. I'm actually learning how to bat. This didn't feel like mm. I just dominated because I've got a lot of skill or because I slogged a few or this sort of stuff. It was, no, nah, I've actually learned how to play cricket now, so I'm on the right track. So that was about 18 months into moving to Victoria. And then I suppose looking at it in retrospect, it looks like it happens pretty quickly. You have a couple of big seasons, you win a shield with Victoria and suddenly people are talking about you are saying, oh, there's this bloke batting at number three for the Vicks making really consistent runs. And you've, you're now being talked about as a potential test player. Yeah, it can move so quick. And I think, um, yeah, I'll, I, I became aware of that. And that, that initial stage takes a while. That's, that's the grind. That's where 10,000 people can, can give up because it, you, you've given it, you give every excuse to give up as in, You've got you actually have a lot of right because things don't look like they're going to work out or whatever it is. Half the paddle actually is sticking in. You can me and me and ten mates we go down now and we say one of us is going to become a professional cricketer or something like that. Eight of them, are, mm. seven of them, are probably going to give up before they even find out. You only got to beat three of them. You know you're not in this. You and that's just purely by hanging in. That's just purely by rocking up again. So there is there is a lot of that. And yeah, so I, I did have some really solid seasons with Victoria. Had good coaches there, had good people there. They stuck up for me. They they sort of made me feel like it was a family sort of thing. Yes, yeah, so that was that was the start, I guess, of my career and pushing towards Australia. I remember when I first got wind of the fact that you were someone being talked up around Victorian circles. You now, having of course had that big season in fourteen, fifteen, and as you say, within. Oh, not even a couple of years, you're in the test squad over in, in India. You're very close to playing a test match in India in 2017, or at least that was our impression from the press pack looking in, that third test match, if I recall correctly. And I think now, you know, with four years hindsight, a lot of stuff to cover in between, and we'll get to that. But we think of you as a white ball player who's done so well in, in the T20 format and play one day cricket for Australia. But you've said repeatedly that for you, test cricket is the, is the pinnacle. And it, does that sort of remain your thinking at this stage of your career that that red ball cricket playing for Australia, playing test cricket for Australia would be the peak for you as a, as a professional athlete? Yeah, I, I, I still think it is. Um, there, are, there are things that are making it harder and harder at the moment in terms of the amount of red balls I can actually hit or play or be a part of, mm. which, is, which is starting to probably not frustrate me, but it's, you know, when you can't see the narrative yourself, you can't see how this story is going to work mm. out and you can, if you're going to get to test cricket, how's this going to happen? But then you also just got to sometimes sit back and let it and do your thing. And if you're making runs, you make runs. If you bowl them all, you bowl well and it works out itself. But yeah, I, I do feel that I was probably closest back then to playing. And it was a, it was an odd stage because at that time, yeah, I don't mean to keep talking about Dad, but this this time when when I was coming back and playing and being on those test tours or closer to playing, 
dad was getting quite sick there and he had some big operations some things that we weren't sure how they were going to go it was always now not in the years it was in the months oh he's got he's got four mm. more months he's got five more months or, or if this after this operation we'll see how this goes but it could be quick all this sort of stuff and personally so overall I haven't really said this but um and this is when I started playing for Australia. So I'd only just started playing one day cricket and that sort mm. of thing. But mm. I really struggled in state cricket. For those maybe 18 months or a year, I had unbelievably poor stats. And Ronnie McDonald picked me in every single game. Every game. You're batting three, every game. And I'd leave training sometimes halfway through or whatever it is. And he'd just call me, I'm here for you. You're in. It's all right. It's all right. And in my head, I couldn't shake this thing of, oh, I wanted to get home. Mm. I was like, what am I doing? I'm missing. This This could be yeah, 27, 28, 27, I reckon. Every second you get now at home, this is this is the last memories you can make. Keep going, go home, make some yeah. fucking, make some memories. Like this is, yeah. that's important. And then I would not do it because it was a, a lot a lot of the time I'd fly home I'd fly home and I wouldn't tell anyone and I knew that we'd have an optional training session on the day before the game and so I'd miss that and I'd fly in the night of the game and then I'd just rock up to the game as if nothing's happened because I wanted to yeah. it was hard because I'd, I'd talk so openly to them but I there was there's also there's only so much you can say you talk openly but you're not opening your whole heart every time you speak to them so I just took it by myself. I was flying back and forth, trying to play games. For someone that so needs, I feel needs to be so invested in the game to get the results he needs, it wasn't wasn't working. But then, in the same breath, I'd get picked for Australia, and I had in my head, okay, well, if you're going to miss anything to do with Dad, at least you're playing for Australia, and at least show him what you can do, at least do this, at least do that. So I would just then, and that was nearly my best time that I've had playing for Australia. Mm. You know, so in the same breath that, so that, and then I realised obviously it wasn't cricket, as in it's not whether you're a good cricketer or you're not, it's what sometimes you can give to each contest or give to the games and, and that sort of thing because... I could not have been hitting them worse for Victoria. I actually still feel bad about that now. I was averaging maybe 50 in other years, and I'd averaged maybe 12 or something like that. Ridiculous. But, yeah, so that was a really odd stage because I'd go and, I'd, like you said, I went to India for the Test Series, but I also went there for some one-days and this sort of stuff. And I remember I went to India one morning after um, waking up and... I, didn't, I was in Perth at this stage and um, we found Dad on the floor downstairs in the kitchen and he'd been there for four and a half hours because in the middle of the night he, he, was quite, he was so frail, he was about 45 kilos and Jesus. hated the taste of water because it was so metallic in his mouth because of all the chemos and this sort of stuff. So he, um, he always wanted to have fresh orange juice so he would cut, go downstairs, he'd cut the oranges and he'd just try and, try and sort that out himself. And so we found him. He'd gone in the middle of the night. He went to have an orange, fell over, passed out, 
landed on his nose. He had a similar nose to me, prominent, strong Greek nose. <laughs> um, but yeah, cracked straight on the uh, on the tiles. Nipped his head as he was falling down on the table. Knocked out. There were handprints in the in the blood because he had no energy to call out to us. He kept slipping and just hitting his face. Knocked out again. He wake up twenty minutes later. Slip. Knock out. We wake up. Take him to hospital. Meanwhile, he's trying to put his nose back in with me because he doesn't want to go to hospital because he knows if I go to hospital, I might be there for a week, and that might be the that might be that's where I'm going to spend my last week. So he's trying to put it in. He's, he's telling me, "No, nah, Marcus, you tell the girls it's not. This is fine. We could. This is just my nose. I'm alright." Blah blah blah. Like, and it's sad, but it's also funny. Like, I feel like giving him a giving him a hug every time I tell. Like, we'll think about this. And so he's so he's, he's done this. We end up taking him to hospital. But I leave that next afternoon to go to India to play a one-day series. And I'm sitting on this plane and beautiful plane. We're so lucky. We're sitting in business class, all this sort of stuff. But I've got no, like, I just feel sick. I just don't want to be there. I don't want to whatever. And, and then you go there and, you, and I played really well. And it was actually really probably important for my career and all those sort of things. And it ended up dad got got strong again and he and he had another month. I don't even know how we're getting here, but yeah, this this is what was all just such busy time. Um, yeah. So many good lessons. Like he, he just And and this is where this is half the thing where when I celebrate when I take a wicket, I think most of it's because I've got so much emotion in me from holding mm. this sort of thing in or mm. whatever or and then finally I get to take a week it's the only time it's the only time in cricket that I get to that, that anyone gets to celebrate as naturally as <laughs> they can do you know what I mean as in when you take a catch you don't when you make a hundred you, you've built up that hundred you know you're getting there you're on 99 or whatever it is but I think that sometimes the surprise of taking the wicket unfortunately lets, means I celebrate like a buffoon <laughs> <laughs> you you let out everything that's been building up, but like it it would be building up. And was there a sense that I mean, twenty seventeen? That's the the point where you have that crazy game in Auckland as well, where you the one day game where you you make a hundred and forty six not out and nearly win a game that you shouldn't win. And that's that's a moment where everyone really sits up and takes notice of you. Is that was that also something where you got to show your dad? what you could do you know he was he was still there to see that performance and to and to see your you having the perfect day just about on a cricket field yeah I remember walking off and um walked straight off and Buff had my phone we, we usually don't have our phones with us and all that sort of stuff we have to hand them in and that sort of thing and as soon as I walked off Buff walked in and he gave me my phone he goes go make a call son and I went straight out on my phone and um and me and dad we didn't talk we did not talk because he was just crying. I was crying. Mm. I'm saying, I'm so glad you saw that. Like, it, that, that was pretty much it for a while. Yeah, so... And it's, and it's hard. Like, these things... To other people... Yeah, oh yeah, that meant a lot to him. Or that what it is. But it's, there's, there's some things in, in life, some things in some situations in people's lives where you could not... I could not tell you... And it wasn't. It wasn't about making. It, actually, I don't even know what. It wasn't really about making the hundred, or about New Zealand, or about. And that was a great game, but that's gone. That memory, that feeling has gone. The feeling that hasn't gone mm. 
was talking to dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like the yeah. detail didn't matter, but it was about having got there. It's about all, all those four-hour drives back up and down the coast, all of that. Yes. You know, that that fear of having to move to Melbourne on your own and, and, and there's a moment that's sort of that, like a symbolic moment that says that the work has paid off. Yes, exactly right. It wasn't, it wasn't the, oh, it felt good to stand there and raise your bat. It was, that was a beautiful thing to happen, but the, what felt good was to stand on the ground and talk to Dad and for it to mean as much to him as it did to me and, the, you know, yeah. share the whole narrative and the story that you've been through with someone. So that's like a, well, yeah, once-in-a-lifetime moment for me. It feels almost glib to go through the bullet points of your career given this story, this other story you're, you're sharing with us today. So maybe that's just exactly where we'll go to later in 2017 when your dad passes away. You know, you've, it hasn't all been smooth sailing in 2017. I remember you don't play in the Champions Trophy and we're like, what doing? Like, how's this happened? Like, I think collectively as a, as a pack, we were disappointed for you because it was so exciting when, you know, that moment in Auckland, you're suddenly the face of Australian cricket, then you kind of put on hold the India experience you referred to, but we don't know any of this from the outside looking in. The public don't know any of this about what's going on in your in your personal life until such time that the statement goes out that you're going to take some time away on account of the fact that your dad's passed away. And having read another interview you, you've done around this, you, you explained that your close friends in cricket and the cricket fraternity more broadly really did round around you in that time in a number of ways. But in WA, where you'd moved back to, but your teammates and that was a, a special time for you knowing that the cricket community and the cricket family really does love you yeah yeah I think um, I think you you go through you hold so many things in yourself you try to deal with things yourself you try to because things were going on for so long for dad you don't want to be the guy who cried you almost feel like you're the guy crying wolf oh dad's sick something might happen I need to go home hmm Oh, yeah. Dad's better again. I'm coming back, and then you say it again the next time, and the next time, and the next time, and then you're like, "Geez, mm. like, is this getting is this getting too much? Am I allowed to keep saying this? Or how much do you bring people in? All this sort of stuff." So there were all these questions, and then when Dad did pass away, by coincidence, we're playing against South Australia. Zamps was twelfth man; he wasn't playing, and I sat with him. I didn't go home for a bit because I didn't know what to do. Sat with him for maybe an hour. The South Australian boys um, wrote me a card. Um, within five minutes, I knew the, the Victorian guys had sent me messages and they had lulled the flag for me, um, or for Dad. Um, and they're all just... They're just nice gestures because, you know, people care. And obviously people do. Um, but, yeah, I spent, I spent so much of my time over the eight years leading into that with these people. Um, mm. So, yeah, that was, that was obviously, so, yeah, such a tough day. Um, yeah, I, I, he, Dad nearly passed away two nights before that. Um, yeah, two nights before that, but where he passed out on the floor, we thought we were about to call the ambulance. We lifted him up on the table, onto the onto the bed, and and pretty much held him up by his by his feet to try and get some sort of blood back towards his heart and, and his head. 
and pumped the put an oxygen mask on him. Meanwhile, we had everything. Like the the stoinesses, where we were, we had oxygen masks, we had hyperbaric chambers, we had portable toilets, we had anything that we thought was was gonna was gonna add yeah. to this and to, to help him get medi- better. We we had it. And um, which is like the mentality that I spoke about before. If you like, we'll just yeah. we'll just get it in. We'll get it in. So yeah, and then and then came back to life. And all he did wasn't really talking too much there. Just gave us a little wink like this and put the thumbs up, and and that was it. <laughs> and then um, but that night the same thing. Like it, we find out because Mum runs to my room and knocking on the door. Dad's gone. You need to come here. You know. So these things are. There, it's all coming to the pointing end where you're thinking, Jesus, it's actually happening now. Or yeah. I did not really think I was going to get my mum screaming and running into my room with this. Like I, you do think it's going to happen, but you just still, you still don't think it's going to happen to you. You know what I mean? Um, and all yeah. these things are yes. starting to starting to happen. And then um, it was it was okay because. There was nothing left unsaid. We we had a long time. We knew what was going on, all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember saying goodnight to him the night before and saying, "Just get to the morning so we can give you a hug, and then and then you can you can go." And he just gave us a wink again. Saw him in the morning, gave him a hug, gave him a kiss. We were like the we're like we're like the Italian mafia. We kissed on the lips. Well. <laughs> We were. That's that's what we were like. We wanted to show the love. It was like, what can I do to show you? What can I? How can I? Yeah. I'm, I'm. I just want you to to know. So um, <laughs> yeah. So it was a it was a really hard day, but I mean, it, it, it's always going to be, isn't it? And and there's I know speaking to other people about this sometimes there's even though you know it's coming for a really long time, it it doesn't mean that it smashes you any less when it does happen yeah yeah i mean yeah grief is an is an odd thing it's um yeah and there's there's no way to deal with it i mean i don't even know what i did really to deal with it i guess i just hung out with people that i care about and um which kept we just we we still now we just tell stories about our dad and our friend and all those sort of things and um yeah there's this is this no no good way for it to happen but um i i am i'm pretty fortunate like if i i'm i'm surprised because i didn't plan on we didn't plan on talking about this stuff and so i'm surprised i can no. talk about it quite um quite openly uh which is a good sign because most of the time i think about my dad that it, it's they're beautiful memories they're really good memories mm. and so it makes me it does make me smile and i still or i still see things that he did and and understand I like I like understanding him to then understand myself a bit to say oh that's why you like that that's why you do these things or that's why you mm. appreciate your mates like that or whatever it is it's such a lot I mean it's, it's a lot even just the way you explain it like it's there's no it takes such a toll on you through that through your 20s like kind of your whole 20s really when you think about it you, you were going through this from your late teens until till late 2017 but then you've just got to get back on the bike I mean I guess that's part of the human condition isn't it that we are resilient we're, we're meant to be resilient we're meant to be able to find a way to bounce back and for you that's finding a way to be able to not only perform at state level but to 
by this point you're an Australian player, a consistent Australian player, not just a guy on the on the on the edges. You're you're one of the most important white ball players Australia have got, building into a World Cup uh, or World Cup year where a lot of the attention is around. Will you be a match winner at that competition? You're positioned as the finisher of sorts. You're you're in that sort of lower middle order, which we might come to the whys and wherefores of that in a little bit. But just the idea of building from such a massive life changing, life affirming perhaps event, given how special that relationship was, and then having another massive life event from a professional perspective coming up just 18 months later, that being a Cricket World Cup in England at the peak of your career. And if you can talk us through that transition of going from one thing and then having to basically, yeah, get on with it. Yeah, there was no... um I think probably leading into everything, I was thinking, okay, you don't know how you're going to react when when you lose dad, and and maybe you need to take some time off, maybe just escape for a little bit, come back, have another crack. They're the things you you think about. You're, you're not sure. You got no answers. You just because you you haven't gone through it yet. And then as soon as we went through it, I'd have a few days where I'd sit around and think about dad or talk to talk to mum and Tash and my friends and we'd just hang out and and it was clear that it was whether whether going back to cricket straight away was the best thing for my cricket in terms of I can't even remember what results I was getting I have no idea at that stage um, but it was the best thing for me in terms of I needed to do something and do let, let alone do something that I love like the only other the, the thing I love most in the world outside of my family is playing cricket mm. so I needed to get back to do that and yeah I, performance wise I can't remember at that stage exactly what what it was and all that sort of stuff but I knew that I felt better playing cricket felt better being mm. out there on the field with your mates invested again in, in just trying to be the best cricketer you can be but yeah then then the shift towards the World Cup um <coughs> World Cup happened after we went to IPL, then from IPL we went to Brisbane, we had a training camp, then we went to Turkey, we went to Gallipoli um, as a team, and then we went to the World Cup. And the World Cup wasn't ideal for me in terms of felt like I was just running into a few brick walls. It was um, things would start going well and I'd get run out things would start going well and I'd get a, I'd get out early in this game and then I would get an injury and then I'd push to try and think, nah, I can get through this. You've been waiting for this for so long. It's only a little side. You'll be right. Keep pushing through. Push through. Do the other side. Push through. Got hit on the toe at training. Broken toe thinking far out now we're at the real pointy end and you've got a few things going on and they're hard decisions because it's like can you swing the bat yeah I can swing the bat can I bowl if I need a bowl yeah I can I can yeah but is the toe sore yeah of course it's sore but like I can do it do you so you just well yeah I can I can do it so you go and you just do it and then you re- but then like you're playing against the best players in the world you're probably not at your, you're not at your hundred percent, you know. But that's a bit of my stubbornness and my bit of my character, a bit of what I've learnt from my old man. You just keep like we, 
you just source away, put a jab in this, let's do this, let's tape it up, mm. let's keep tracking. Just cut the tail off. Cut it off. You're wearing yeah. small shoes anyway. You're wearing jail's shoes. You can just shorten them. <laughs> Get some bigger shoes. Mate. Get some bigger shoes. You wouldn't have broken your toe. <laughs> um, does, it, does it frustrate you when, like, you're having a, a time like that and the whole world's watching, you know, and you're being judged on that curve, you know, everyone expects you to beat your best at the World Cup and you're like, fuck, if only I would could be fit. If only I could be, you know, at the peak of my powers now. But... The reverse is true, and the rest of the, and the people on the outside. And I don't know how much you listen to the outside noise. Maybe a lot, maybe not at all. But on the outside, people are merely looking at your stats column and going, underperforming Australian all rounder. At maybe out of position where you're batting in the batting lineup compared to where you're playing twenty over cricket. Maybe out of position, but not doing the job. You must be sitting there going, for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I actually don't read too much. I don't hear you hear things because you can't help but hear them and that sort of thing. But one thing I'm pretty good at is staying away from that, whether it's good and bad. But you know it's coming anyway because you know you know when you're not performing. You know mm. when you're doing well. You know if they, if someone's going to say you, they think you should be batting in a different position. And I'm mm. like I'm 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 so used to it now. Like it, it's still it's still oh where are you going to bat at the top in the big bash because you might not bat at the top and then. Oh, you bat- You did well in the middle order. Are you going to about that? It's like, man, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, far out. Bless you. I, but it's whatever. And whatever happens, happens. We're not going to pick you because um, you made your runs at the top of the order. Three months later, you're playing in the middle order, you know? And whoever it is, whether it's a selector, whether it's a reporter, no one knows. And no one, and and I think half the time, I don't even know if they really care. They just, it's whatever, whatever they can sell at the time or whatever answer best represents what decision they want to make. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If they don't want to pick me, then they can go, oh yeah, sorry, you've been badly out of position. If they want to pick me because of something else, who knows? They go, oh, you've made runs. You can make runs there. You can make runs anywhere. And you're in the team. <laughs> and it's the same. And you're like, yeah, all right. Maybe they're back on. <laughs> all right, we're back on. <laughs> start, start it again, you know? So um, I mean, it's, it's like it's like having one of those really terrible relationships. It's just off and on for no apparent reason, you know. Oh well, I got a I got a late night text. All right, we're good. But then you know, and when it's good, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> You can build a permission structure around anything when you want to, can't you? You can justify almost any behaviour if you want, I suppose. Is, uh, and the same applies for cricket selection. And, uh, I mean, it kind of runs all the way up to this year, doesn't it? Because you had that extraordinary BBL last year and make in excess of 700 runs, smash 100, you know, bounce back really well out of that poor World Cup. And suddenly it's like, right, well, it's time for him to return to the Australian team. And you do so uh, early this year. But when we get to England in the bubble, that first T20... It's you carrying the can, batting at six as the finisher, and it all starts again. You know, like you're like, well, and and the debate and and the sort of the whirlpool that you're in, and I was calling that that match uh, for radio at that the GS Bowen at the time, and I, think, I was thinking to myself, I know I, I already know what all the stories are going to say before they've even been written about you because it's just another version of the same thing we've seen before. Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought that I was like, geez, here we go again. I've landed in this in this spot. Again, 
but, I, but when I'm out there, I'm thinking, geez, how good is this one going to be? If I hit this for six, this last ball, and we win, <laughs> this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull the top off. I'm pulling the top off. I'm running. <laughs> you know? But then I walk off, and, and, it, didn't, and it doesn't work, and, and you go, oh, well, join the queue. Add that to another story or whatever it is. That's fine. Mm, yeah. But I think in all these things, because, again, if I, when I think back four years, ago when I was playing Big Bash and I was opening the batting and I took a while to get going and I was and I was learning but I was my processes were right the things that I the things that I was doing then and not making as many runs are very similar to what I'm doing now and I just mm. trusted it for long enough that once I got here and not in an arrogant way but when you get then get there you eventually can now start putting on performances that are either the best in the world or the best in this, you know, like it, you, it doesn't work on your timeline. Unfortunately, the timeline that we want and that we expect of ourselves, I wish things happened faster. I wish, of course, but it's almost nature's way of testing. Do you really want to do it? Will you stick to the discipline of the things that you've been doing to get you to the here already? All those sort of things. And if you do stick in with these sort of things, you then get a flood of rewards. That's what I believe anyway. And I think even similar with IPL this year, I went from England from losing, well, whether it was I lost the game or we lost the game, but in to then go to the IPL with Ricky Ponting, who is an unbelievable mm. man, filled me with a heap of confidence. And then in the exact same role, I did really well. And then everyone's yeah. going... Oh, how good is he at this role? He should be playing this role all the time. And you're like, have you forgotten <laughs> that I've actually done really poorly a few times here? Or that, what's going on now? You know, so then you you just... It doesn't... That That's that's why I think, fortunately, it's happened so... Like, it's just so much of it that it's... Um, it doesn't bother me anymore. All of that, all of what you're talking about connects to what I would describe as a very conventional kind of mindset in a lot of cricket people a lot of cricket media it's like tram tracks all the way and I wanted to ask you about like my, my most defining memory of you is at the AB medal a couple of years ago and I, I was very surprised to get invited because Cricket Australia don't like me very much usually but I was there and, and, and you were there with Ben Abitangelo and and you know you were wearing outfits that were not really particularly wild it was like you're wearing a white suit jacket and a flat cap and some colorful socks but you got up up on stage to get your gong and the host was like oh my god marcus daughters what are you wearing this is crazy and i'm like he's wearing colorful socks like are you apps like shooting your load over colorful socks like what is this the most exciting thing you've ever seen and it just really stood out that it was like in australian cricket you wear a black and white tuxedo. Like, in Australian cricket, you don't ever do anything that's even the slightest bit different because that is going to blow people's minds. They do not know how to process it. And I, it sort of felt like that was how you were being received through so much of your career, where it was like, oh, look at Marcus Stoinis over there. He's got friends. Oh, look, at him. he's smiling at something. Like, whatever you did was considered to be absolutely out there when it was not remotely that. Yeah, I'm glad you, you feel, I feel like you've nailed it. It's like, <laughs> Adam Zampa is the weirdest guy. He loves coffee. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> um, and I actually said it. I actually, I actually, yeah. I, I said, don't know what's weird about mm. having really good friends and caring about them. And don't know what's weird about having a good time and smiling and not saying the thing on an interview that, oh, yep, it's going to be a bit up and down this wicket and um, I think it might seem the new ball's going to be hard work and um, and if we dig in early, we can really cash in later. But no, anyone... We execute our processes. <laughs> you know? Like, just get, and then nothing's weird. Nothing, like... Yeah. I mean, you're talking to me. What's the what have we spent most of my time talking about? Is my family, mm. and I think the reason I've got close friends is because the friends that get close enough to me, I either bring them into my family or I treat them like family. And it's mm. what else is the most common thing in the world? Everyone's got a family, so that's not weird. That's not different. The fact that maybe I talk mm. about it, or the fact that maybe. I'm a bit more open with with my friends about it, all that sort of thing. So that's how I see it. it. It feels like a really healthy thing watching you blokes who are clearly all great mates. Again, going back to that England bubble last year when you know, you're know sort of sitting out on the ground, on your towers, listening to music, doing absolutely normal stuff, as Jeff and you have pointed out already. But it does stand as a contrast because you're not, I don't know. I'm not saying you're not in the gym earlier in the day, but you, you know the perception is is that you're not doing what the other blokes are doing and watching Netflix or whatever. You're making a point of very publicly being out there doing your own thing as a group of friends. Kane Richardson, and Nick Maddinson, when he's around, Glenn Maxwell, Mitch Marsh, whoever it is, Ashton Agar, that you blokes are very, very close, and you don't really care that that's the case, and you're physically close, emotionally great mates, and the fact that that's outside the tram tracks of expectations of Australian cricket doesn't seem to bother you blokes. Yeah, because then, then at the start you do care a little bit and then you go, hold on, what am I caring about here? Because I'm not doing, you're not doing mm. anything wrong, you know? But at the start you think, fuck, maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not meant to be mm. doing this or... But you're like, no, I'm not being rude to anyone. If anything, I'm the opposite to that. I'm bringing mm. more people together. I'm having fun. I'm not drinking and not going to training. I'm not gambling my money away. I'm not sleeping in and missing training, missing meetings, not caring. Like, no, this this is... So I just I just almost decided to go, fuck that, whatever, think whatever you want to think. Mm. And then all of a sudden the group turns from Marcus Dornis, Adam Zamba and Kane Richardson to Mitch Marsh, to Ashton Ager, to Nick Mattinson, to Glenn Maxwell, to Pat Cummins, to, you know, and to... Travis Head mm. to, and then and then all of a sudden the group of two or three turns into a group of 10, 12, 15 and then and then that's when in my opinion that's when a team becomes a team. How much better is that team to mm. play in? You know? Mm. Where people are looking after each other, where people know what it means to each other to be playing and to be to be here to what they're working on or when someone does take a wicket one of your friends, you know how much that means to him because you've been spending all that time with him. You understand their preparation. You understand what they're doing, what they're going mm. through, um, how they're trying to improve, how they're trying to impress. Everyone's trying to impress a selector or a coach or so at some stage. Everyone's gotten hammered in the media at some stage. And so you know this narrative of everyone else rather than, rather than just yourself. 
and then you start sharing a journey together and you bring each other with you. Yeah, and, and, and so much of the like what we're talking about is the tram tracks. To my eye, that's what a really conventional understanding of masculinity is um, in Australia, where it's like, if you're a man, you do things like this. But it's it's actually more about what you don't do. It's like, if you're a man, you are not supposed to do, and the list is endless. Like, the list goes on forever. For you, you're not supposed to wear colourful shirts, and you're not supposed to, like, you're not supposed to dance, and you're not supposed, you're supposed to sit in a camp chair and drink tins until you're absolutely blind, and then you're allowed to sing along to Barnsley. Like, it's, the list of what you're not allowed to do is everything, and there's almost nothing left that you are allowed to do, and it seems like such a stifling, suffocating way to live to cut off all of these opportunities for self-expression and enjoyment because that's not what blokes do, and you think, well, maybe it should be what blokes do, and then maybe blokes would be a lot happier about themselves and everyone else. You actually, yeah, you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head. I'm, um, I'm actually glad you said that because you get it. You're right. You meant to just sit there and drink your cans until Barnsley comes on, or um, yeah, it's a, it's a difference between. I actually spoke to Nick Larkin about it. And he goes, and we, we we came up with, I don't want to be a good bloke. I want to be a good man. I want to be a good man that my friends can rely on, that can help people improve, that can be open, that can take criticism or all this sort of stuff they, they, I want to be someone that they rely on if they need something if there's if something's going on or if when we're in the middle they rely on me I don't want to be the good bloke because what's a good bloke oh um, oh he's such a good bloke he we can go down to the pub and just drink mm. and punt all day <laughs> oh sorry, sorry, sorry I just anything. missed something there because that's not that's then there's there's millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of them, but I want to be. You want to be a good man. You want to ha- like that's something. And anyway, that's 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 what that's what we talk about. I think that's a pretty nice place to leave it, Marcus Dornis. It's absolutely clear that you are indeed a good man. Thanks for being so bloody open with us today about some of the toughest parts of your life and some of the happiest. You've been a fabulous guest. Thanks for being part of the final word. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. This is The Final Word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, after our conversation with Marcus Stoinis, as we foreshadowed off the top. Uh, not the conversation we expected. I prepared to uh, talk to Marcus in great depth about his cricketing career. We did a little bit of that. I think the chat we had was more important than that. And just to redouble our thanks to him for sharing that with us. And it, I think hopefully was able to colour in a lot of the gaps about a guy who we, I suppose, think we know a lot about because we mm. watch him play a lot of cricket on television and the Big Bash and, and, and play for him, Australia. You and see him doing funny stuff on, yeah, videos, exactly. on the internet. And he's, he's going he, op shopping with Adam Zampa yeah. or he's making cups of coffee on the test documentary or whatever it is and you kind of get a, a certain How impression. Wacky. They like coffee. What a bunch of wacky dudes. I love the way he responded. Coffee. I love the way he responded to that, by the way, that he shared that exact view that you yeah. and I have talked about privately before that it really blows people's minds that they have, that like that two blokes would have, or a number of blokes, it must be said, as the way he explained it, would have an interest in <laughs> sharing. The most popular beverage in the world. <laughs> yeah, sh- sharing time together and drinking coffees went on tour. Anyway, but no, that, that was pretty cool. So um, yeah, I'm so glad we sort of went to the effort of making it so and, and that he uh, was willing to, to yeah kind of come to the table and share that level of detail that you normally wouldn't get in a cricket interview. Well, that what stood out with that was that 
it all relates to the cricket story, yeah. you know, and that's why we kept coming back to his personal story because it was his entire cricketing career where that's what was going on in his actual life. That's what was happening for the actual person while these cricketing things were happening. And so it, it's there's the whole other side of the coin that you never see with, with the public face. So, you know, I, I feel... I've, I've felt extremely moved while we were doing the interview and, and I'm very grateful now that we were able to. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And, you know, it, it's, I think it's important sometimes to remember that all the barbs and all the sort of back and forth that you get with cricket, passions run high when talking about cricket, but, you know, the people have these other lives entirely and the idea that he would be flying back to Perth mm. uh, when playing a Shield game the next day for Victoria in Melbourne just to get some precious time with his family at such a trying period in their lives to me speaks to that broader commitment that he has to his family and to the people he loves and I loved all the stuff about you know what does it matter being a good bloke when if you can strive to be a good man it, it it gazumps being a good bloke every day of the week. And I think, again, that, that's a good reminder for all of us and that he's had the sort of time to reflect on this over the last few years and able to articulate it in that way. Yeah, very special. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting where there's so many times we do an interview and I say, oh, that, that's the best interview we've ever done. And it keeps happening because they keep being wonderful. We keep having these these guests who, who are wonderful. So, you know, if you're new to the show, scroll back through the feed and you'll you'll find some pretty special conversations. Right, Jeff, uh, it's time for us to say goodbye. First of all, we always thank everybody that makes it possible. First and foremost, uh, we're part of the Bad Producer Productions label, uh, badproducerproductions.com, Astrid Edwards, Jay Mueller, who look after us, and Dave Collins, who is our editor and does a superb job. Thank you to all of all the people at BPP uh, that help get us on the park a couple of times a week. It's been more like seven times a week in, in recent uh, mm. recent weeks, and that's a pretty big effort. So uh, brilliant to have them with us. Thank you to our patrons, patron.com forward slash the final word. If you want to be part of that awesome community, YouTube is now part of what we're doing, yep. as we say. This episode is on YouTube, as are all of the India dailies. Mm. Um, Thanks to Cam Fink uh, for editing this, if he does, because I haven't asked him yet, um, <laughs> but I will. <laughs> yes. and, and if he says yes, thank you. And, and if he doesn't i'll that's fine i'll do it myself yeah the magic that cam brings to everything we do even though this is one still camera i'm sure cam will be able to do things that make it extra special for us to see bus super i i mentioned them in the, in the daily show but uh they have been instrumental to changing the way that we make this podcast week in week out alongside our patrons and zolio who are with us as ever to tell us about satellite technology that's 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 what we're all about circling the earth and beaming information back that's what we do and that's what they do it's the final word I'm Jeff Lemon. You can I can point now because this is on video. He's Adam Collins. That's how it works. And we'll have story time, our history show on the weekend. And we'll be back to our regular weekly sort of news etc. show next week, next Wednesday. And away we go into the future, into 2021. So you know what I meant. I had to go about it, write it out.